Good morning, church. Good to see your faces. It's sunny. It's nice. It's a great day. I'm glad you're here to worship with us. My name is Simon. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I'm kind of the new guy, so you got to just deal with all my stories and things. I've said them a million times, but they're all new to you, so it's, it's very exciting for me. I feel like everything's new. Um, it's uh, funny enough, you know, it's, it's Labor Day weekend, and God created labor. It's a good thing. It was before the fall, and so we actually celebrate it by not doing it. It's a weird conundrum that we're in, so we're going to celebrate it that way, but it is a good thing, and know that this is a good thing to celebrate, that God made this thing that we were designed to work and to do things and to create, and so let's celebrate that week and remember that as we rest in his goodness and his grace. So we are currently in uh, part four of our study of parables is where we have been, and this is vignettes of spiritual truth. We are going to be in another one this week, but I thought I would share a little bit about me. I love to share my life with others, mostly my failures, my brokenness, the things that I have done wrong, so you can learn from those and not do those, and it makes you feel like you know me a little bit more. Um, I grew up in a home where challenging authority was a common theme. I had uh, a mother who was a hippie, lived in communes, uh, you know, protested the war. I had a dad who was in the war, who came out of that saying, I didn't really like the authority that was there. It was rough. And so when we grew up, it was always challenging authority. And so it's funny that they got mad when I did that to them. But regardless, it's what I grew up in. And I remember in the fifth grade, so elementary school, fifth grade, uh, we had just finished school. It was in Northern California. And I got out and I kind of moved my way to the other side of the campus because that's the way that you went to go home. It was hot. It was California. We wanted to have a water fight. School was over. It was going to be the weekend. It was going to be great. And so we didn't have water guns with us. So we did what the next best thing is you just fill your mouth full of water from the drinking fountain and you spit on each other because that makes sense, right? Looking back, you're like, we, we're gross creatures. We are gross, nasty little creatures. And so we were doing this, and apparently one of the second grade teachers didn't think that was such a great idea, came over and grabbed my arm and said, come with me. And I remember in this moment, I'm like, no, I'm in charge of my life, lady. And so I yanked my arm away. I'm like, you're not in charge of me. And I walked home. I'm like just so proud, like, that's right, that's who I am, went home, had a great weekend, came to school on Monday, and was promptly ushered out of my seat to the principal's office, where I then got suspended, <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, I, I'm the authority here, I'm in charge of my life, I make the decisions, little did I know that there was a higher authority that was going to execute judgment upon this young lad who decided that he was going to be rebellious and do what he wanted. And as a matter of fact, uh, once a year, the teacher did this really cool thing for school, and he knew that I was getting suspended, so he planned this really cool event on the day that I was suspended so I would even feel the punishment even more. <sighs> so not cool. But why do I bring that story up about authority and spitting water on people and thinking that I'm in charge of my life because that's where we're going today. That's what's going to be happening. We've been moving through these parables and as we've been doing it, we've been seeing that Jesus wants to show us about who God is and his kingdom and what he was going to be doing in it and ultimately how it impacts us and how we respond to it. 
And we've had to press into some really hard parables. Uh, this week in community, in, in you know, groups, you guys have talked, did you guys, anyone challenge last week? I was super challenged about the idea of forgiving other people. That's hard to sit in that and to realize that. But God loves us enough to know that he wants to press us into trusting him, into believing him and into following him. And it's not because he doesn't like us. It's not because he's a buzzkill. It's actually because he loves us so much that he's willing to press on us to make sure that we would not go astray, that we would not wander because he knows that life separated from him will lead to death and destruction. So because he loves us, he calls us back. Now, this parable is no different this week. What we find is that the religious leaders of that day and of that age were starting to wear thin on the teachings of Christ in where we are. Um, And so what's going on is they're hearing what he's saying and they're not liking what he's saying. He's speaking out against them. They thought he was gonna be somebody else. He turns out to be this guy who's actually way different than what they anticipated. And they're like, all right, we gotta figure something out because this this whole thing with Jesus isn't, isn't working for us. So we're going to try to challenge him and we're gonna see where his authority comes from is where he's going. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Mark chapter 12. That's where we're going to be hanging out. Now, Jesus knows that they're, they're trying to trip him up. He, he knows that they're trying to catch him. He knows that they're trying to get him in a place where they can get rid of him. And what he's going to do is this parable actually is a huge warning. Again, because he loves them and cares about them, he's a patient guy. He's always calling people back to repentance. He's doing that right now. He's saying, hey, here's a warning. Like, don't do this. If you go down this road, it's going to end poorly for you. Now, there's a lot of history involved in this. And so if you're familiar with the church, some of this may make sense. And you'll connect the dots really easy. If you're new and you don't know that, I'll fill in the blanks so we kind of know where we're going. Okay, so here we go. Chapter 12, verses 1 through 12 in the book of Mark. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went to another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son, Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him outside of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, as we come to this this parable, there's a lot going on. 
And there's a lot happening and you have a lot to say to us and your heart and what you and how you view your people, how you view those that lead people, what it means to be in a position of a spiritual authority. And I ask that you would give us eyes to hear your truth. Lord, this, this applies to all of us in some way, shape, or form. And so I ask that you would soften our hearts, you would open our ears and our eyes to, to hear what you have for us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak through me. I ask that if there's anything that I shouldn't be saying today, that you would take it off of my notes. If there's anything that you want me to say, that you would give me the courage and the boldness to trust you and to step out in faith and say those things for someone who needs to hear a message from you today. We are grateful for the opportunity to be in a place where we can proclaim your word publicly and let your word transform our lives. We pray this in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. So, at the cross... Crux, crux of this passage. Sorry, me no speak English well. And so at the beginning of this, what we see is that authority is what this is all about. This actually came from a section in verse 27, early on in, in chapter 11, and actually says, uh, I said 28, it says, by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you the authority to do them? So the religious leaders were actually asking this very question. So it revolves around authority. Who has it? And at the core, we see that it's about this power struggle between God and the religious leaders. Now, let's be clear. God's not struggling. The religious leaders are struggling for authority. They're struggling for power. And what they're really wanting is who is going to receive glory? Meaning this, who is great? Who will be honored? Who is worth praise? Who will be worshipped? See, even the idea of, of, of worth, it's worship, worth praise. It's a worthiness that comes. And so they want their name to have a weight to it. They want to be known as someone important, someone that should be looked up to. And this is the very question that Jesus understands in the battle that he wants to go against. And he is going to be very honest and he's going to be very clear on what this path looks like. If this is the path you want to be an authority unto yourself, to seek your own glory, it will ultimately lead someplace. And that's where he goes. So we want to look at some of the symbols in this parable. We've been doing this every time. Hopefully this is helpful as we break these things down to understand who's who in this story. And so it's been fun, and I'll do the quiz, and you guys can answer. And don't feel bad. We're all friends here. And if you answer wrong, I'll just correct you in front of everybody. So it's totally okay. All right. Who is the man who planted the vineyard? Boom. Look at that. Bat in a thousand. Super easy. Here's a hard one. What's the vineyard? That's right. It's Israel. Who are the tenants? Yes, all, all of that, right? So it's the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the elders. That's who we're talking about here. Who are the servants that the man sends? The prophets, absolutely. And the son is? Okay, yeah, that's an easy one. I mean, the name's in there. He's a son, like son of God. We got that one. Now, there are some things that I was reading this week. And there's a little bit of like sort of debate on some of the different symbolism, but I found it fascinating. And I actually think that there actually be, there, the words in the Bible are not there by coincidence. They didn't just pick random words. They all have meaning and purpose. So there's three more things I want to look at. What does the wall represent? I got real quiet all of a sudden. See, I, and I saw this for the first time. I, was, I thought it was fantastic. What'd you say? Yes! Yes, it is, man. That's awesome. 
Good job, Hank. Um, Yeah, it's the law. It's the protection that God has given us law to protect us, to keep us in a place that is safe, that is holy, that is right within what he would want for us. That's the Ten Commandments. What's the wine press? No, but you're on the right, you're on the right track. It's, it's the altar where the sacrifices were made. As you would press on the wine, the juice would flow out. It'd be like the blood that would come from the altar, from the animals that were sacrificed. So he's given them the Ten Commandments, this, this vineyard. The Lord has given it to his people, Israel. He's given them a wine press. He's given them the ability to have a sacrificial system to have their sins forgiven. And then ultimately, there's the tower. What's the tower? The temple. The place where God would dwell. The place where God would meet man and intersect with him. And so what we see is the story is going to revolve around a vineyard. Now, the Jewish men and women of that day and that age would have understood exactly what he was saying when he said it, and the reference to Israel was very clear in their mind. Actually, it comes from Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. Let me read it to you. Now, the context in which it plays out is, a, is connected, but it's different in what it's attached to, so we'll, we'll get there. It says, let me sing for my beloved my song, uh, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hewed out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, it didn't, it, did it yield wild grapes? Why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are as pleasant planting. And he looks for justice and behold bloodshed, for righteousness and behold an outcry. Jesus was very clear. The leaders totally understood what he was saying when they were talking about the vineyard. And he paints this picture of Israel as the vineyard. And it was supposed to produce good fruit, good crops. It said it was looking for these choice grapes to come off the vine, the kind of grapes that you could use to make the wine that they would have during that time. But it said, no, we got wild grapes. If you break the translation down a little bit more, it actually would be sour grapes, grapes that weren't usable, grapes that weren't good, grapes that weren't producing what they were designed to produce. Israel was to produce a fruit. Well, the question is then, what is the fruit that Israel is supposed to have? What should they have developed in who they were as a people? Praise, worship, obedience to God and to God alone. And the leaders were to teach them. The leaders were to do the same and be the example of what that looked like. They were to reflect God in everything that they did. 
See, God wants his people to trust and believe in him and to not look elsewhere for their joy. And when they do, it always leads to trouble. It always leads to destruction. And the way that the people in that day and that age had treated God was to find other gods to worship and to take advantage of other people. That's why it says, he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. Where the people should have had justice with them, they, they had bloodshed and war and crime. Where they were looking for righteousness. What did you hear? An outcry for help because there was no righteousness. And so he was going to destroy Israel because of that. Now he's talking about the nation of Israel, which is different than where we land today in our parable. There's a little bit of subtlety in what he's talking about and the destruction that will come with that. So back to our parable. And it really does kind of follow the creation story. God made a world. He put man and woman in it. They were called to care for it, just like priests in the temple, right? That they were to care and cultivate and work there. They handled it poorly. They were removed from that garden because they didn't do that the way they were supposed to. Then God picks a man named Abram and says, I will make you a great nation. I will, I will make you my chosen people and bless the world. It actually says so in Genesis 12. It's a great section to understand what God's purpose was for the people of Israel. If you want to know why did he pick these people, that seems like it's not really fair. Actually, it tells you what he's trying to do and lays out the whole plan in front of them. We just see that they lost their way along the way. It says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred, uh, kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. Now listen, here's, here's the purpose. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, the people of Israel meant to bless the world, not to go in on themselves, not to be the holy huddle, if you will. They were to spread out and to continue to show God's name as being different from the rest of the nations. It was a way to have access to communicate who God is. Now, the sad truth is this, is that the people of Israel always fell away. There's a cycle of sin that takes place that happens over and over again in the Old Testament as you look at the Israelites. God loves them. He cares for them. They get lackadaisical. Things go, you know, they're going great. So then they start worshiping other gods, which makes no sense. But they do that. So things are great. I'll worship other gods. Then God's like, don't do that. Then he sends someone to judge the nations. Like, you shouldn't be doing this. And then they cry out to God. Then God sends either a judge or a prophet or someone to have to call them back. They repent. They come back to God. Everything's good. And then it starts over again, over and over and over. And you're like, those Israelites are the worst. They are a reflection of us. We do the same thing all the time. You know, it's so funny. Like, when things are great, we seem to not, like, cry out to God very often. It's only when things are bad, we call on God. God, help me. When things are great, you're like, I'm doing so good. Operative word being I. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. Then it goes sideways. God, why did you do this to me? Help me. That's what we do. We're funny people. Well, because God is amazing, as the people would repent, uh, would rebel against him, he was always slow with his patience, right? Always, always patient with them, calling them all the time back to him. No, you don't want to do this. No, this is wrong for you. If you do this, there'll be a consequence. There'll be a punishment like a good father does to his children, constantly calling them out. That's a sign of a good, loving God. 
But we see that it's very clear that they don't in uh, Jeremiah 7. 25, it says, from the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them. Day after day, they did not listen to me or incline their ears, but stiffened their necks. They did worse than their fathers. If you go on to Zechariah 1 and, and 4, it says, Do not be like your fathers to whom the f- former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me. No matter what, they would reject God over and over again because they didn't want what God wanted. They wanted what they wanted. They wanted to do what made them happy, what they enjoyed. And you would see that these prophets would get beat. They would get thrown in a pit. Like, hey, I'm going to show up and tell you that everything you're doing is wrong and you need to knock it off. You ever have that conversation with somebody? Hey, let's grab lunch. Hey, here's how you're horrible. That usually does not end in a good lunch. That usually goes sideways and you might be wearing some food by the end depending on who you're meeting with. But that's what would happen. They would beat them and they would kill them. There was a progression that took place over and over again that would go from like, no, go away, no, I don't want to talk to you, to beatings, to being thrown in pits, and ultimately to being killed. Now here's a little, a little quiz for you. Who was the last prophet that God sent before Jesus? Yes, John the Baptist. Jesus said so. I've got, I've got a verse. So if I don't know what I'm talking about, I got a verse that makes me right. So the verse says this in, uh, starting in 9. What then did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, the, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women... There has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. What was he doing? Repent of your sins, Israel. Come back to God. And he did this thing, this symbolic thing of what it looked like to repent of your sins. It was an outward expression of what was happening inwardly, which we called baptism. Like, they weren't doing that. It was this, you're going to show that you are repenting of your sin, that you are turning back to God. And they were doing this as a ceremonial cleaning of the people. So, the, so in the story, they say, well, okay, he's killed all my servants. They must not respect him. I will send my son. And we see that Jesus is very openly talking about himself, that he is the son of God, that he is the heir to the throne, that he is God. And he predicts that they will kill him and they will reject him. Why? Because they wanted to be the ones in control. They wanted to receive their own glory and they weren't about God's glory. They wanted to be the ones in authority. The authority that only God deserves. You know, it's just funny. They wanted the kingdom and they were willing to kill whoever to get there. We're the same way. You're like, I ain't killing anybody, Simon. You may not be physically killing people, but I, I, I watch what happens and I, I observe the world and the council, the, the council uh, canceling culture is just, it's the same thing. I'm going to promote myself and what I believe and what I think. And if you disagree with that, 
I will wipe you off my Facebook. I, I will take you away. I will talk poorly about you. I will talk out against you. We beat them up with our words and then ultimately we kill them off of our world so they can't be a part of it because they get in the way of self-promoting ourselves. They get in the way of lifting ourselves up high. They get in the way of our glory. And we hold our glory tight. And when you try to pry my hand open, we're going to fight to keep the glory that we want so desperately. We keep saying that, we are, that we're in charge of our own ship, that we're the ones that have authority over our lives, but we fail to forget that there is a higher authority over us. Someone wiser, someone greater, someone better than who we are and what we would even think. Then Jesus poses a rhetorical question to the leaders that are listening. What will the owner do? Or as they may have heard it, what will God do to the spiritual leaders that are to lead my people who don't lead my people? That's what they're going to hear. He will completely destroy them. Now, he's not talking about Israel, is he? Who is he talking about? The leaders. He's going to destroy the leaders and what they have established and what they think is making them great, that we know the law, that we fulfill what God wants, that we do the sacrifices, that we know that we're supposed to do, and look at how great and holy and righteous we are. It's like, I'm going to take all of that away. And then he says something crazy, because here's the thing. God's like, I'm going to be glorified. It's going to happen. If people don't, it says the rocks will cry out and praise my name. So God's like, I'm going to be glorified. I've chosen these people to do it. I've chosen these men to lead my people. And if they don't, I'll find someone else who will. And he says, and he will give that vineyard to others. Who are the others? The Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? This guy. All of us. We're the Gentiles, unless you're Jewish. You're, you're a Gentile. That's how it works. So he's talking about everybody else, God's chosen people, the Israelites, and the rest of the world, the Gentiles. He said, I'm going to give away this authority. I'm going to give away this leadership to someone else who will run my vineyard appropriately, who will give me the fruit that I desire. And so what, is, what happens in 70 A.D.? Takes away the temple, huh? Takes away their sacrificial system. Takes away their altar. Takes away their tower. Takes away everything that gives them prominence. He takes it and strips it away. And then he gives the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles. It's amazing. It's amazing what he's doing. It's amazing how he's doing this thing. And, and in Peter, we get this really cool picture. 1 Peter 2, 9. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Here's what's happening. He's taking away the mantle from the Israelites of the priesthood, and he's giving the priesthood to the Gentiles. Why? He says, you will bring me glory. You will praise me. And it's crazy as you look at what's happening Jesus fulfilled the law, right? So the law is taken care of. He's met the requirements, the needs of that. We are now his temple. It would say in uh, 1 Peter 2, 5, 
you yourselves like living stones are being up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. He is now making us into the temple. We are a mobile temple that goes out into the world. Isn't that amazing? We're like the RV of the Ark of the Covenant and we just drive around the land. <laughs> and, I, and I just, it's so interesting that as this is all taking place. God is expanding his kingdom. And if you go all the way back to Genesis 12, what is he doing? He's blessing the entire world through it. That we've been adopted into the family of Abraham. So now we get to go out as the royal priesthood. We are taking that position. If you call yourself a Christian, you are a priest. What? A royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's an amazing thing that God has done. Now, do you think that they understood what Jesus was saying? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Verse 12 is super clear. It's funny. Mark doesn't have a lot of parables, and most parables are kind of like hard to understand. But in the book of Mark, they're super clear, super plain, and get right to the point. There's no confusion. And we see it says, and they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Interesting enough, this is what's crazy. These men, these religious leaders who were like, oh, this is, this is amazing. We know everything that there is to know. We love God. We fear God. Who did they fear? They feared man, didn't they? where they should have feared God, God's mouthpiece, God incarnate, come to them. The one person they should have feared is the one guy they're trying to kill now. And they feared the crowds because the crowds had more power than God. How often do we have such a small view of God and understanding that we fear what people will think and say to us, how they will treat us? Well, they may not like us. They won't be my friend. They may talk out against me. They may reject me. Do we understand that we worship the God of the universe? Last night I was praying over this sermon. I'm looking out my window and I'm looking at these stars and there's a little, you can see like four of them. There's like four stars because there's too much light pollution. But as I'm looking at it, I'm going, that is Saturn. That is Jupiter. That is Neptune. Like, I'm seeing the stars, these huge planets that God has created, that we can see those to understand that he has created these things, that he holds it all together, that he spoke them into existence. That is the God that we worship, and yet we fear the little ants that are on the planet. It's just backwards. If we would have a proper placement of who God is, it would change how we live and what we do in life. What do we do with this? You're like, that's a crazy passage, Simon. <laughs> There's a lot happening there. There's destruction and people getting kicked out and they're given new responsibilities. Well, here's what I want to say. This is, this is the gospel playing out. This is what God is. There is a God who loves us deeply, who created us and cares for us and has called us to sit under his authority and his protection. And as we've rebelled, Sin entered the world and it took away all of that relationship that we had with God. It killed the access. It removed us from him. The Bible says that he has to 
judge sin because he is holy and perfect and righteous and that sin can't even be in his presence without it being dealt with. And so because we sin, because we are sinners, the wrath of God will be poured out against that. But because he loves us, there's this conundrum. He's like, what do I do? I will send a substitute to come and take your place. Because I love you, I will send my son and he will come and he will take our sin and place it upon himself. The wrath that we deserved, his son paid for us. And he went to the cross. He hung on the cross and he died in our stead so we wouldn't have to. And then it doesn't stop there. He then pours out his righteousness, his ability to live the law perfectly. He pours that on us. So when we stand before God, when we come to God now, he's like, oh, you're just a sinner. You're broken. You're horrible. I got to punish you. He sees his son when he looks at us now. And he sees that his son laid down his life and his blood has washed our hearts and we are clean and pure and that his wrath was satisfied, that Jesus absorbed that. We talked about that last week, right? That he absorbed that wrath and now our debt is clear for those that have placed their life in the work of Jesus Christ and call him Lord and Savior, amen? Yes. So we get to share that story. We are a priesthood. A royal priesthood. It's a weird thing to think of. We don't probably walk around and say, hi, I'm Simon. I'm a royal priest. We don't do that. That's not probably normal in how you would introduce yourself. But we are. The Bible tells us twice. In First Peter 2, it tells us twice that. That we've been given this new position. We're like, well, I don't know how to do all the sacrifice. I don't know the things. What does a priest even do, Simon. The priest was the guy who was kind of like the middleman, if you will, between God and men, that they would show them what God's word said, that they would correct people, they would work with people, they, would, they were doing a lot of those sacrifices, they were trying to create that access, that relationship, that's what they were trying to do. You know what's great? We can still do that same thing. We're not killing animals, so just calm down, that's not happening, I didn't bring a goat with me today. But we get to bring the gospel. See, that's what we get to do. We get to bring the truth of what I just communicated to you to others. Our job as a royal priesthood is to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ, that he is a God who saves sinners, that he's a God that gives new life, that he's a God that changes hearts, that he's a God that calls people to him, a God that is persistently seeking after them. No matter what we've done or what we've gone through or how far away we've drifted, he is the God that calls us back because he loves you. That is what we get to bring. So yesterday, yeah, oh, I don't even know what day it is. You know, when you get old, you just don't even know what day it is anymore. I think it's worse when you're retired. Amen? All right, so, so you're like, it's a day. And so... Um, I got to go golfing. I, I, I'm in a new place, so it's like everything's new. All the golf courses are different, and I don't know anybody. I don't know where to go. I don't know who has the best deals of golf. And so I found a place, and I just happened to like, this will work. And so I go down, and I start playing. I get paired with these guys, and it's almost like a bad joke. It, it's literally like a bad joke. I get partnered with a construction worker, a lawyer, and a urologist. And a pastor walk into a bar. I mean, that's kind of how it felt. I'm like, what's going on here? And so in 18 holes, you either learn to hate the people you're with or totally love the people you're with. 
And so we finished and we said, oh man. And you just like, you know, there's a, I think everyone was a sailor at some point. And so it was a lot of stuff happening. And at the end we finish and they're like, hey, come join us. We're going to hang out afterwards in the clubhouse. And I'm like, oh, it's Friday. It's my day off. I need to, I think Annette's like, hey, can you pick up our, our middle son from school? And I was like, oh yeah, totally. I'm only like, you know, one and a half holes away. And I'm like, what do I do? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I got to get my kid. I'm like, oh, come on, Simon. You got to join us. And I felt this huge burden on my heart. And I heard this. You are a priest. Take my message of hope to them. And so I'm like, oh, hold on a second. And I call Annette. I'm like, Annette, I, uh, I know I've been gone for a while. Um, so... The Lord said, <laughs> and I'm like, if you want me to come home and get the kid, I'll totally do it. I'm, I'm totally willing, but they've asked me to come and hang out with them. What do you think? She's like, do it. I'm like, all right. Two hours I spent with these guys, and we talked, and they're like, tell us your story. And I'm like, here we go. Buckle up. And so... I, yeah, we just go for it. And I just start sharing Jesus. And this is why I went to church. And this is why I fell in love with the Lord. And this is what the people of the church did for me. And they shared their stories about how they had gone through the Catholic church. And there's all these problems and all these things had taken place. And I'm like, man, it's just so crazy that Jesus is the one who died for us. And we all need his forgiveness. And he's like, yeah, oh my gosh, totally. And I'm like, this is happening. And I'm like, I got nothing to lose. I'm never going to see these guys again. And then I finished like, can we have your number? No joke. Got my number. We're like, we play on a regular basis. We want you to join us and do this. I'm like, I'm in. Now, I didn't change their hearts. No one like fell on their knees, but I did get to be a priest. I did get to communicate the truth of God to people that needed to hear it. And this is what I'm telling you. You are the priest. You are the priest of Laguna Woods. You are the priest of Laguna Hills. You are the priest of Irvine. You are the priest of your company. And that God has placed you to be around those individuals to bring the truth. You're the priest of your school. Do you understand what God, he's invited us in to do what he's doing, that we would glorify God and by glorifying God, we would point others to him and they would glorify God because God will receive his glory. The question I have for you today as we end is this. What kind of priest are you? Do you fear man or do you fear God? It would have been very easy to say, I don't know these guys. I don't want to do this. But I'm like, well, God's called me to this. I got to be a light. I got to go and I got I to share the truth. These guys may never hear the gospel in their entire lives. I, I want to I do what I can. Am I the kind of, am I the kind of priest that's about my authority? Am I, am I the kind of priest that's about my glory? Are you the kind of priest that's about your glory? You being in charge, you calling the shots? Because there's a warning here for us if we fall in there. And I'll say this, I think we kind of go in and out of that all the time, don't we? We struggle with different things and there's times where we want our name to be made big. And God's saying, I love you enough to call you out. Repent and return to me because his forgiveness covers the multitude of sins as his royal priesthood that goes out that we get to go and worship him. 
you get to go out and, and show the world Jesus. What are you going to do with that? Have you thought about it that way before? Like, that's who you are. That's what you get. You don't have to. You get to. Isn't that different? You get to do that. And as you've been touched by the life of Christ, you can't help but want to communicate this to everyone you know. Let's pray, my priest. Lord, the responsibility of what you've called us to is just crazy. But the best part is it's not relying upon us. It's, reply, it's, replying, it's, it's about you. You're the one who's doing it. You're the one who's given us the ability to do it. We rely on you to empower us to do that, Holy Spirit. And we ask that you would do that. As you make us this temple. As you shore us up with the cornerstone that they rejected. The ones who should have known that you were the, the Lord Jesus rejected you, but you said, I will be praised. I am making you the cornerstone which everything else is measured against. Lord, I ask that we would see our lives as a holy priesthood. And we are priests that go out into the world that you have placed us in all these areas in our life to be a priest, to be the one that communicates the truth of God to those that don't know it. Give us the boldness to proclaim the gospel to others. We are not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. Let us do that well. Let us watch you work. Let us see the people that we know and love and care about come to know and love and worship you as we lift their names up to the only you, the God, that would change the hearts of men and women. And Lord, if we are seeking our own righteousness, our own glory, our own worship, let us kill that today. Let us confess that to you today. And let us know that you are the ultimate authority the same way that when I was a kid I thought that I was in charge and ultimately I wasn't and there was a punishment there but the punishment that we speak of is so far worse than what I described in my life we want to be near you we want to be in relationship with you allow us to do that convict our hearts Holy Spirit I pray this in your glorious and amazing name Amen